This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. New Zealand Bridge, sponsoring Bridge from beginner to international, nationwide. Welcome to the Bridge Zone. You're at the table with Barry and Mariana. We have the return of Judge Julie. She's finally out of session and bailiff has gone back to his normal duties. Heading into Hamilton Congress this weekend, Barry, are you all primed? All ready to go. Pretty good entries. I think there's something like 31 teams entered for the team's event. They're going to be filling both rooms, so great stuff. First of all, though, I want to ask about last weekend. What? Well, what happened on that trip down to Topo for the 8B? <laughs> did you manage to get there with that coffee stains? We did. Didn't stop, so <laughs> that was a major factor. Yep, Barb and I trucked on down there, and yep, we had a good morning session, a healthy third. Was there anyone teeing off on that first tee that hit it into the bushes? <laughs> no. That's pretty good, that, isn't it? <laughs> But I did see one lazy golfer, and I don't know how many golfers are out there, but he had like a sucker thing on the end of his club. He puts the ball into the hole, and then he t- flips his club upside down, and it sucks the ball out, this little sucker thing. And I thought, what a lazy kid that is. Were you thinking about getting a sucker on the end of your pen when you go to bid at the bridge table? <laughs> oh, yeah. But I don't know what you'd pick it? up with that. <laughs> COVID. <laughs> Didn't really fire in the afternoon session, but I tell you what, the Bristows, they had a blinder. Yeah, they scored 73% in the second session, so the Topo 8B was taken out by Matthew and Murray Bristow with Jenner and Christine Gibbons second, but they had a pretty ordinary first session, but wow, 73. Under 50, yeah, yeah I think yeah. it was even 44, and then a 73 just sailed on past everybody, so you got to remember, all is not lost. <laughs> I'm not sure that it was as low as 44, but it was definitely a 73 in the afternoon. But anyway, tell me, what's with all these one-no-Trump openers? I know, I couldn't get over it. One of the things that we found was that our system wasn't quite strong enough to combat the interference over our one no trumps bid so, so that's my question for so you. you were opening a one no, oh, 12 to 14 no trump yeah so uh, what i can see at the moment is one two four six eight nine twelve hands opening one no trump and opposition coming in and interfere yeah we've talked about what happens when you interfere over there yep. no trump but maybe we haven't talked so much about what happens when yes. when you open a no trump and they interfere that's right so you've got a couple of options but yeah our, our system just wasn't strong enough to combat them and one of them so <laughs> i open one no trumps left-hand opponent intervenes with the two no trump which is alerted and information is five five in the minors partners got a really cool hand in the majors and bids four spades making seven you look at each other and it's like well how does that happen how can we do that better but just the one no trump openers after that and then the interference i'll tell you was doing my hearing it's the same old same old it's what you've agreed with your partner and if you haven't bothered to sort of talk too much to partner about what you do there then you're going to be in strife when it happens aren't you so what you need to know is what's forcing and what's not 
those are probably the two main things to see. So, you know, anybody who's listening, if you open one no trump and the hand on your left bids two no trump, showing both minors, and your partner bids three of a major, is that forcing or isn't it? I mean, I think it perhaps should be forcing. Should be, yeah. There's no real right or wrong answer as long as you and your partner know what you're doing. That's what you really need to do. And it's a bit scary when you've got a hand like like your partner had there with six spades and five hearts and your partner's opened a weak no trump. They've got a good opening hand with six five in the majors. It's pretty hard to explore if they're too scared to bid three spades in case partner passes it. And if they decide to maybe bid one of the opponent's suits in that situation where it goes one no trump, two no trumps of the minors. If they bid three clubs, what does that mean? And if they bid three diamonds, what's the difference between that and bidding three clubs? There's a number of things that you you know, you know perhaps could discuss if you've got a serious partnership you want to talk about those things. But you're right, there's about three options when the opponents interfere with a bid, and yeah. the three options are double and two no trumps, or you can pass, obviously. You need to talk about what those three three things mean i think perhaps there should be a takeout double available i don't like penalty doubles after you've opened one no trump and partners bid somebody's overcalled two diamonds or two hearts i think you're much more likely to have a hand where you can double for takeout than you are to have a hand that you can double for penalty on Mm. and if you have got a hand where you want to double for penalty well you just have to pass it around to partner and hope they can double There's, there's also an interesting thing about the invitational bids over one no trump the great tim series he was a great australian player maybe the best in the world certainly up there with them and i have read that he didn't have any invitational bids over one no trump if his partner opened one no trump he either forced a game or he played one no trump or presumably just signed off in two of a suit so he didn't have any of those in between bids because it is a pretty fine line to be fair when partners opened and you want to invite to game and then stop on the dot in two no trumps or three hearts or three spades and hope that's exactly right and that that all you make is exactly that number of tricks so so maybe mr series had a point there when he didn't have any invitational bids i'm not suggesting that you all do that or we'll have a whole epidemic of people bidding games or missing games definitely has some merit well, we were playing a week no trump, so 12 to 14. So I was just wondering whether there was any merit on that particular day of sticking with my real fave variable no trumps. Still going to have the same problems. On It's it's not going to alter the problems. It'll just mean that you'll have more points and partner will have less or whatever. So yeah. you've still got exactly the same problems. It's, it's really nothing to do with the range, whether it's weak or whether it's strong or whether it's variable. Yeah, true. It is still going to give you that issue when the opponents interfere. What do you do? Yeah, Lemon Soul is one of my old favourites, does come uh, up there yeah. quite handy. Um, so if they overcall something and two no trumps basically just says, I want you to bid three clubs and I'm either going to pass clubs if that's what I've got or I'm going to correct to diamonds or whatever, and it shows a weaker hand than bidding directly, mm. bidding a suit directly, which is forcing. Yep. But of course, if you were Tim Serious, you wouldn't have that problem, would you? <laughs> Well, thank goodness we're not then. <laughs> oh. We wouldn't have anything to talk about. What I wouldn't give to play as well as Tim Sirius used to. <laughs> All together now, timey kangaroo down, sport. Timey kangaroo down. Timey kangaroo down, sport. Timey kangaroo down. Okay, hey, I hear we've got a couple of people that are in confinement that we know. We have, so... I guess we can say it because it's on Facebook. So Liam Milne and Susan Humphreys are back in the country, yay, in New Zealand. But of course, they're in quarantine. Good news about that is 
They're locked up there, and Liam's said that he's happy to come on the show next week. Well, I don't know whether he's happy. He made some comment there that he's going to be really, really busy drinking coffee and playing on BBO and watching Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) So next Tuesday, next Wednesday, we've got Liam on the show. That'll be cool. You don't know why they're here. Because New Zealand is such a fantastic place. Well, no, I don't know that. I've made that bit up. <laughs> I've got family to visit here, I'm sure. And um, yeah. Yeah. Hey, I wonder how the people that are in confinement got to do their voting. Did people go around in the white suits handing out special voting papers? White suits? Yeah. We don't have any white suits. There's only black suits and red suits, aren't there? (laughs) No. You know, like the beekeepers (laughs) passing out little special votes, knocking on the doors. That would have been a bit of a go, wouldn't it? I'm not sure whether they were back on election day or not. Probably not. Well, your little thought about National going to close the gap, that was a bit of a dud, wasn't it? (laughs) Told you. Should have left Simon Bridges in there. I said that way back. This is not a political broadcast. No, it's not. But they should have left Simon Bridges in there and then they could have done whatever they jolly well wanted. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Right. <laughs> anyway, so next this weekend coming up, so we've got the Labour Weekend Congress, we've got the Hamilton one and the Otago one. Yep. Entries are looking good. Hey, you forgot to do the results for Waitomo. I heard all about that. I got in big trouble for not mentioning the Waitomo results. Mariana, who won Waitomo? The Dravitskys did. That's right. It was Neil and Pam Dravitsky. Yep. So good stuff there. They managed to get home quite comfortably in the end, wasn't it? Yep. I spoke to him because him and Mary were down in Topo, so I said hello, congratulations, happy birthday. All the-. He was tickled pink. There you go. Every win still gives you a buzz. <laughs> Director, please. How can I help? Judge Julie presiding. Question one. We're back to this so-called rule of 29, Julie. You know how much trouble it would give me counting all the way to 29. Few people have been asking about it. What is this? The rule of 29 is about the high card points and the length of the suit. So like the rule of 20, you add them up and if basically if it adds up to 29 or more, then you're probably okay. The aim of the law around or the regulations around a two-club opener is the fact that it is a strong hand. And over time, we have had repeated issues where people decide that a 10 count for a suit headed with the ace, king, queen, jack is good enough to open two clubs when in fact it is actually just a preempt and it's not a hand where our hand owns the auction because of its high card strength it's not a hand where our partner with eight or nine points immediately starts thinking or maybe we've got slam on so people are opening it on hands that are relevant for opening bids at the one level with distribution or preempts but they are not hands that are overwhelmingly strong that we can't bid any other way. And because, like when we open a week two or a multi and our partner bids to no Trump's game try, because we need to have some regulations that when people make these bids, they actually show a hand that has the strength that is expected because otherwise you're just psyching your opponents out of the auction. And we don't allow artificial strong openers to be psyched. So we have this regulation. And we have this thing about people saying, oh, but I've only got three losers. Or when I learnt to play bridge, it was quick 
tricks. And people don't always understand what that means in the context of strength. And losing trick counts, by all accounts, is not meant to work unless you have a fit. But apart from that, it can be hands that are really weak or it can be hands that people are very optimistic in the way they apply losing trick count. So we look at high card strength and in general we're looking at a hand that is balanced in 23 plus points because with 20 to 22 we would have a 2 no trump opener whilst I will admit because of changes some people will have 21, 22 in a balanced hand but that's fine. It's when we have the distributional hands. And we will all have hands that we pick up that are around 18, 19 points with really good distribution that we would want to open to clubs. But we equally have hands that are, uh, that are 5, 4, 2, 2 with 18, 19 points that we will be opening at the one level. The attempt is to take into consideration some distribution whilst setting a pretty high minimum and high card points to make sure that when people open two clubs or an equivalent bid, that it really is that hand that we teach, which is a very strong hand. Okay, Julie, I'm going to fess up here. I had this yep. hand the other day, and I had 17 points, two good suits. I had six spades and four clubs. And I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, what did that bloody Judge Julie say the other day? Hang on, 20, 27, <laughs> I went six and ten. And then I thought, oh, it's just too far to count. I couldn't remember what I could do, so I ended up opening it one spade, right? (laughs) Now, it didn't add up to 29, whatever it was. Maybe I had seven four, but it was still only 27 or something. In fact, I didn't actually get round to counting them all up because it just got too hard for a simple country boy from the Naki. So was I allowed to open that two clubs or wasn't I, Julie? Well, you know, we know how long the Naki kept the shield, so maybe, (laughs) you know, simple boys from Naki should not worry about anything. High five, Judge Julie. (laughs) I knew I'd get no sympathy, even though I'm sitting at the table thinking about Judge Julie, which is a horrific thought in itself. If you've got a 6-4 hand and a 16 count, and you open one spade, seriously, why do you need to open it two clubs? For a start, you do need partner to have something, and you probably need partner to have something pretty specific. And if partner has nothing, oh, you know, it'd be a fair whack of money that somebody's going to be overcalling or bidding here, unless it is a really unusual auction. Yeah, maybe so, but when it went one spade pass, pass around to that person, fourth in hand, I was thinking to myself, I'm going to kill that Judge Julie when I see her next. (laughs) I don't make the regulations. I have nothing to do with it. Yeah, I was still blaming you. Yeah, but you could only make one spade, couldn't you? (laughs) Well, the person bid. So then I bid four spades, which, of course, I can't make, right? (laughs) But then they bid something over that, and I smacked it, and it went down, and yeah. yeah. And And he came out smelling like roses after that. And I thought, oh, maybe that Judge Julie's not so bad after all, I thought. The biggest problem we have is when we're looking at regulating and making laws and things is about the fact that we make it something clear to make it clear what we want to happen. And it can be really, really hard. And all my sympathy to the regulations subcommittee here and that it is really hard. But the particular phrasing seems to be particularly confusing as well. And there are different things around the world. They all have things, and some of them are equally confusing. So we just do our best. But in general, the underlying reason for the regulation about the two-club opener is that it is a hand we expect 
to have overwhelming strength and that it has got the majority of points in your hand in front of you or a hand of such playing strength with good high card points that if partners suddenly went ace asking with their eight count, you wouldn't be embarrassed about where you went to. If you open two clubs on a solid suit with a ten count, you are going to be horribly embarrassed when partner bids seven no trumps, mm. expecting you to hold a lot more than what you actually have. So when we're making a ruling, and it does say in the regulations about the intent, at the moment because we've had a change of the way the regulations are written and we are hoping for some guidance at some point about it, anecdotal and evidence of stuff that occurs is going to provide some of the clarification we need as we go on. But we've got to work our way in it. It is really clear what the intent of the regulation is. Yeah, I was thinking it was more along the lines of a hand where you would be worried that, you'd still obviously have to have quite a strong hand, but you'd be worried that partner might pass a one-level bid and all you really need to have, say my example hand, if they had the queen of clubs and a couple of spades, you'd think you could yeah. make four spades. Well, it's yeah. sort of getting up in there, but on the other hand, if partner, they're very specific cards. Yep. And the other thing is that normally with 16, 17 distributional hands, we're not concerned about being passed out at the one level. Yep. But I know that there are things about this that are difficult, and certainly once we're getting up there in those hands, 18, 19, hands that perhaps we would have opened strong twos many years ago, some of them we are. We're sort of, should we open it at the one level or should we open it two clubs or, you know, exactly how should we bid this? But when we've got 13 points in our hand or 10 points in our hand, we shouldn't be thinking it's two clubs. Sure, I can certainly go along with that. But, but okay. Don't. But, I mean, I've never ever played strong twos, but you're right. There is a little bit of a gap, isn't there, between the two-club oh. opener and the one-level opener, which the used to be fooled by strong twos but isn't anymore. Two Clubs has a huge, huge workload. And if by agreement with your partner you're opening it lighter, then it becomes alertable. And there are regulations about what you can and can't do. But if you're opening so that it's not game-forcing, perhaps, if it goes two clubs, two diamonds, there are things that are alertable about whether bids are forcing or not. So if your two-club bid could be weaker than your opponents expect, you can alert it. Sure. I just want to pick up on something else that you said. This is going to be my question too. Fifth partner opens a week, you were talking about a multi, but let's just say they open a week two and you've got a good fit for partner's suit. You know, maybe you've got three or even four of them. Say they've opened two hearts and you've got three or four hearts and you've got like only about a 14 count, but you are sort of interested in game. What's the ruling there? I mean, I know you can't do it with, you're not meant to do it if you've got like a six count. No, absolutely. If you've got 14 with a good fit, I mean, or 13, you are bidding to no trumps in the expectation that you will be bidding game if partners got a maximum for their bid, right? Or that the hands fit or whatever your agreements are. But you are expecting that when you bid to three hearts, you're expecting the hand belongs to your side. If you've got a four-card fit and a five-count and you bid to no trump, and your agreement is that it's invitational or better, mm-hmm. then that's just rubbish because you've got a hand that you're going to preempt, not that you're looking to have that your side owns the contract. If you have an agreement that to no trumps is any hand with support, then you can play that, but it's alertable and you have to tell your opponents. It's zero plus points. It's not a game try. It's an artificial raise.
So well, if an artificial yeah. game try, you are not allowed to psych. Yeah. So if you're too no Trump but is asking partner, how good are you? And if partner's maximum, you're going to bid game then your hand presumably has good value. If your hand has bad value and you're just using the two no trumps to stop your opponents from bidding, you can't do that if your agreement is that the two no trump bid must be at least a game try. Sounds like a hand smack. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a a pretty normal thing, but I think some people perhaps don't don't appreciate that. They think that they can bid two no trumps with anything. Nothing, yeah. You know, you open two spades showing five spades and a five-card minor. Quite a few people play two no trumps as asking what the second suit is. They don't play it as showing any strength. Mm. But the explanations tend to get a bit horrible because people don't quite, aren't quite clear about what it is. So you do want to make sure you understand if you ask a question and someone says it, ask for the second suit. Because if it's asking for the second suit and it shows zero plus points, you really do want to know that. And if it shows, if it, if it does show points, you really want to know that as well, if you're thinking of coming in and they've got ab- a 15 count. Right. <laughs> and the more that your opponents don't give you a full answer, the more questions you have to ask, the more information about your hand you're giving everyone at the table as well. So mm. people giving clear explanations that include the point range as well as what the agreement is. Yep and not giving the name of systems, like not just saying Michael's, which could be any combination of suits, any point range, and apparently now even 5-4, which definitely should be told to the opponents. So you have this whole raft of stuff where you don't get good information, and then people say, oh, but there was all this stuff happening, and they got information they weren't entitled to. Well, giving clear explanations and asking for clear explanations generally takes care of that. Yep, so the clear explanations is really important because actually the alert doesn't help you that much in a lot of those situations where you're talking where somebody's open two spades, whether it's a week two or whether it's a two-suiter. Two no trumps will nearly always be alerted. Sometimes it'll just ask what the other suit is and might have nothing. Other times it might be showing sort of 15 plus or something. So the alert doesn't actually help you that much, does it, until you get the explanation. And asking bad questions yeah. like, is that forcing? The answer to that will be yes. <laughs> right? not, you're not, if you're not asking your opponents what it means, but you're asking a straight question and you get a yes or no answer, right? I mean, you're asking the right question, like what do you understand by that bid, means your opponent should give you a clear and full explanation. My colleague over here is coughing away into the wall and I'm, <laughs> I am concerned, but not that much. <laughs> <laughs> Unless one of those cows gave me something this morning, Julie, I'll be fine. <laughs> hey, well, that is interesting, isn't it? Because you can do a direct question or you can do an overall question by the sound. It's like, what does that mean? But yeah. if that is just a yes or no answer, that's all you're entitled to do? Well, well, that's, you're getting the answer to what you've actually asked. Yeah. So, so our recommended thing is, you know, what do you understand by your partner's bid? Should give you a full explanation. Okay. I mean, not one that goes on for hours, but oh one that God. contains information. Is there and anything? Is, oh, sorry, Julie. Is there anything else you'd like to interrupt the bloody recording <laughs> session with? Freaking opening lollies, coughing away over there, and now his phone's going. Oh, no, seriously, you know, maybe we should get Jenny on. <laughs> no, she's playing bridge this afternoon. But anyway, so the main thing is, obviously you expect good explanations, even if we don't always get them. But the other yep. thing that you've said there, which is important, is ask good questions. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah. So, so if you ask the wrong questions, you probably won't get to hear what you want to know. Two annoying situations. One is where it's like drawing blood. You have to keep asking and asking and asking to get appropriate answers. And the other one is when you give a good explanation and your opponents keep asking weird questions. So, so there's a lot of stuff that helps people play bridge well. We got completely sidetracked. If we can do things to help everybody play the game better then we all feel more relaxed and happy, then it's a far more pleasant game to play. Absolutely. It's not about getting an advantage and fudging things. It's actually about when everyone knows what's going on that we can still do well and still beat them. It's not about winning either, apparently, but I won't go into that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that sounds awesome. We shall catch you this weekend at Hamilton Congress. It's great to have you back. It'll be great to be back playing Bridge on the weekend as well. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it'd be the first big tournament for quite a few Aucklanders, I guess, unless they did travelling. Actually, I'm yeah, still... We had the tournament to last this weekend just gone, but it's the full Congress. It's been mm. the first one this year, I think. I'm still holding after. my grudge against Julie about last weekend, so... Aww. She played with Jenny, my wife, and they got yep. three A points. So that means Jenny's three A points ahead of me for the year, which I'm unlikely to catch her because I'm playing everything with her. <laughs> If we'd got 1% better, we would have had more A points to be ahead. Oh, dear. (laughs) But anyway, they got enough to be annoying. (laughs) (laughs) That's our whole aim in life, isn't it, Judge Jordy? Yeah. So I'm looking forward to earning more A points than Barry this weekend as well. (laughs) Awesome. All right, we'll see you this weekend. Okay, bye for now. Okay, bye. Bye. And to close the show, I'm going to share with you a little tidbit. It's about a blog that I found on FunBridge. There's a 2020 Bridge International Championship. Wow. So it's the big world bridge event for autumn 2020. And how it happens, the aim is to gather all bridge lovers in an online championship from the 26th of October to the 1st of November. It says, come pit your skills against players from all over the world. Enter the BIC World Rankings and earn FunBridge points. So how does it work? It's going to be split into two phases, qualification and final. The qualification phase will take place between the 26th to the 29th of October and includes 100 tournaments of 12 deals scored by MPs. So you've got to play at least 10 tournaments and each tournament costs 50 diamonds. So I guess you'll have to purchase some diamonds. Once the threshold is reached, the results of your top 10 Tournaments will be used to calculate your average score and determine your ranking. So to qualify and make it to the BIC final, your result must be equal to or higher than 55%. At the end of this phrase, all players who qualify will receive 50 diamonds back. How cool is that? The final will then take place between the 31st of October to the 1st of November and include six tournaments of 12 deals scored by MPs again. You must play at least four tournaments and each tournament is free. Once the threshold is reached, the results of the top four tournaments will be used to calculate your average score and determine your ranking. So win diamonds and subscription to the digital magazine B-Bridge. I think it's really cool. Have a look at it. It's under the FunBridge website and have a look at their blog. I think it's pretty interesting. I might have a crack as well.
the cool thing about it is is that there's going to be national championships too. So have a go. You might not make the international scene, but you could still come somewhere in your own country. So come on, you Kiwis, go and have a look. Okay, catch you next week. Bye for now. This program is sponsored by New Zealand Bridge, sponsors of Grassroots Bridge across the nation. Episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.